Our next guest is a tramping guru, author of 10 books. He's a photographer, a guide, a former doc ranger. He's the former editor of Wilderness Magazine. And his latest book, Tramping in Aotearoa, New Zealand's Top 45 Tracks, is beautiful too. His name is Sean Barnett. And his next book, Wild Notes, is in the works while he's facing the toughest challenge of his life the diagnosis of stage four brain cancer. And Sean is in our Wellington studio. Hi, Sean. Kia ora, Jesse. I better check, actually. I said Barnett. You like Barnett or Barnett? Barnett's all good. Okay. <laughs> um, thanks so much for coming in today. I'd love to hear about your passion for the outdoors, first of all. When did you get hooked? Well, I grew up in Auckland in the Waikato where there weren't a lot of mountains, but when <laughs> I was about 13... My family shifted to Napier in, in Hawke's Bay, where the Kaweka and Ruahine ranges were on the horizon, sometimes sublimely covered in snow during the winter. And I was a real sort of nature nerd as a kid, you know, listening to Our World, David Attenborough, read, <laughs> Willard Price's Amazon Adventure, Gerard Durrell's books. And so I was immediately attracted to these mountains and happily got the opportunity to go and visit them through youth groups and and pretty soon by trying to encourage some of my high school mates to go tramping with me. And that's sort of how it began, really. Yeah. Uh, great to hear the name Willard Price, by the way. I used to really yeah. enjoy his books as a kid as well. Um, I haven't seen any of them in my children's book collections. Maybe they were just a thing of the 80s. Um, I read I read some to uh, Amazon Adventure to my sons and they were horrified by the headhunters' okay. scenes and I think I traumatised them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you didn't have too much trouble getting your mates along. Might not be the coolest thing to do as a high schooler, but um, you had the bug and, and they took your word for it and enjoyed it? Well, I was quite lucky. There was a, a chap called Sean Hushier um, at my high school and he was a real good, keen outdoor man. He was the sort of guy who, I remember he made his own knife out of sheet metal <laughs> um, and we had uh, we were supposed to have archery lessons at the polytechnic and he was late as he often was and turned up riding his horse grabbed the bow and arrows and just started firing at the targets he was one of those sort of guys so um and and he always thought it was far more important to shoot your first deer and catch your first trout that was far more important than passing school certificates so no convincing him to go into the hills tramping was not a problem what was the gear back uh gear like back in those days uh it was external frame packs which were heavy and uncomfortable and uh, swan dries you know striped swan dries um, northwear socks um, none of this nice um, sleek merino um, and um, and boots that weren't always very good either in fact um, on one of our first very ambitious tramps into the Kawika range in the middle of winter um, we were crossing a river, and I thought, jeepers, you can feel every stone through these boots, and then realised there was a reason for that. The sole of my boot was floating off down the moor oh, the river, no. uh, leaving me with sort of not much more than a moccasin on my um, my left foot. Um, but, uh, yeah, the next few days provided an insight into how the under-25-year-old male brain works <laughs> with decision-making, which is not very good. And well, so just that, press on regardless. Yeah, press on regardless. You know, that would have been the obvious point to turn back. Um, 
The forecast was for some heavy snow, but we carried on up a river, and gradually this moccasin-like um, leather just disintegrated oh, gosh. Um, until um, we were climbing up a ridge towards a hut on the tops to Pukiohika Rua Hut, and um, the whole thing completely collapsed, and I was just left with a northwest sock. <sighs> and then we hit the snow, oh. uh, sort of knee-deep snow, and um, the northwest sock froze. Uh, my foot got pretty cold, but we got to the hut, and luckily, you know, had, had a wood stove. We got a got a fire going. We were warm enough, and miraculously, it now seems to me there was a pair of leather boots in the hut that fitted me. Um, because the, the next day we had six hours wading in waist-deep snow across the tops, and it would not have been good <laughs> no. uh, with, with, with no, no boots. And trampers, Kiwi trampers don't mind doing it tough when necessary, but you don't want to do it tough unnecessarily, right? So if there's better gear that you can use, you'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all about... Having an enjoyable experience, and there've been big advances since then. Um, I, I talked to a, a world famous bird watcher recently, and he said he decided not to become a professional bird watcher because then he said he'd lose a hobby. But you obviously weren't worried about that. You left school and you decided that you wanted a job out in nature as well. Yes, that, that's right. My my first idea was to be a national park ranger for the Department of Conservation. So I went off to. Um, study zoology and ecology uh, at Palmerston North Massey University and eventually got into doing some volunteer work for DOC because that was the only way to get some experience and and get known. So I had a a wonderful year Kiwi surveying on the west coast of the South Island um, and also working with with fur seals and then eventually landed a, a job working for DOC full-time in the Waikato Conservancy, mainly working in pest control with possums. So it was quite interesting to hear your earlier interview. Yeah, back in the Waikato, way, And there there are plenty of lovely things to do for nature enthusiasts in the Waikato. Um, But I remember just going up and down Parongia quite a bit with my dad. That was uh, probably uh, uh, one of the best options nearby. Then how did you get into writing? And uh, eventually you were the editor of Wilderness Magazine. Well, I started getting very interested in photography and realised that you could sell the occasional photo and started doing doing that and then decided that a good way of selling more photographs was to actually write an article and send it to a newspaper or a magazine mm. and pay you for the words yeah. and the photographs. So it really developed from, from there. You are obviously good at it. You stuck with it for a while. Well, you know, persistence sometimes pays off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they hire people as editors for being persistent. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, you've done so many walks in New Zealand. Do you have a favourite? Well, probably one of the trips that I'm most proud of is, is sort of doing a piecemeal traverse of Kateriteri Ute Moana, the Southern Alps, from Santana to Nelson Lakes um, through to Fiordland. So that involved um, a number of trips, some as long as four weeks, others sort of two to three weeks. Um, And this was right along the spine of the main divide. Gosh. Up glaciers, overpasses uh, involved having food dumps flowing into huts and um, carrying crampons and ice axes and and ropes and doing what trampers call transalpine tramping where you're using 
mountaineering skills to travel through the landscape. Um, and that was an utterly magnificent experience over about 10 years uh, with various companions yeah. here, walking the length of... What do you mean over 10 years? Well, I, it, it was piecemeal, so yeah. I do... Um, the, one of the big chunks was yeah. walking from Aoraki Mount Cook to Arthur's Pass, so that was 28 days with um, a, a week's food supply on each leg and then picking up another food dump at a hut and then carrying on. And so gradually over... Um, period of years I pieced the trips together so I had a contiguous line down the length of the Southern Alps Must feel like a tremendous privilege as a New Zealander to have got to do that Yes, it was I mean, we have an utterly magnificent mountain environment here and, you know, a third of our land area is protected as national parks or conservation parks or forest parks and that is very rare around the world. So, And we have a Department of Conservation that manages it for us. So we are very privileged. Now you're currently climbing a different sort of mountain. Tell us about your health, Sean. Well, in April um, I was staying at, uh, over at Castle Point with my wife and some friends and then woke up rather confused in Wellington A&E uh, having had a brain seizure. So that was all a little confusing and bewildering. Um, and at first the diagnosis was late-onset epilepsy, but as it turned out, after an MRI scan, they found a brain tumour which had been causing that seizure and a subsequent later se- seizure that I had the next month. So, um, yep, and then I got a diagnosis in July that it was... a uh, a pretty serious um, tumour, the sort of one you don't really want to have, so I've been undergoing radiation and chemotherapy over the last few weeks. So, um, What is that process like of um, finding out what you've got and the seriousness of it? It's pretty unreal, actually. I didn't really quite believe it at first. Um, 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 but... Um, you sort I, mean, of I imagine you have some it. ominous kind of meetings booked in, do you? Yeah, yeah, you do. So, I mean, after the MRI scan that the next day, um, my wife and I got called in um, to speak to the neurologist, and, and you could tell it wasn't going to be good news as soon as you saw them. I mean, it can't be a pleasant thing delivering this sort of information to people. Um, yeah, so... Um, Tough no. on your wife, who was there when you first um, had that, that blackout too. Yes, very tough. She, you know, she didn't. She thought I, I might die. And um, seizures beget more seizures. So, um, yeah, I had um, what they call a grand mal seizure, which I think would be pretty frightening to witness. I was quite lucky; I didn't get to see it. Yeah. So, how's your life been since then? It's been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, um, yeah, the. The radiation has caused tiredness unlike anything I've ever had before. Um, I get a lot of pressure head headaches, which are um, mess with your head in a few different ways. Uh, one, because you're worrying what's going on, mm. and two, it's quite hard to operate normally, to concentrate, um, to work, um, to do those sorts of things with these pressure headaches. So, um, yeah, but um, I can't speak highly enough of our public health system and the staff I've had at Wellington Hospital have been amazing. 
You've been working on this book at the same time? Yes, I have. I've been working on it, gathering material for it for quite a few years. Um, so my basic idea is, is a memoir, but but told through various themes, nature themes. So um, rock, um, native birds, islands, rivers, beach forests. Any, any tramper who spent any time in the New Zealand bush will love and appreciate beach forests. We've got about four or five different species. So I plan on writing about my own experiences of visiting these places, but also weaving through science and knowledge that I've, I've gathered over a long period of time, reading and being interested in these things, So, um, and, and also about some of the fascinating people that have researched things and, and, and explored in the backcountry. Can you keep tramping in your current condition? Um, my oncologist wasn't too pleased to discover that I did a 50-kilometre tramp a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> um, and some of it in the snow. Um, but she's also very encouraging, um, but um, told me, listen, you have to, because when they do radiation on your brain, obviously they're trying to target the tumour, but um, they can't help but affect the good brain as well. And she mm. said, you've just got to allow yourself time to rest and to recuperate and let that good brain recover. Um, so, yeah, she gave me a good talking to uh, with my wife nudging me, saying, <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> um, um, I, I hope this isn't a stupid final question, but have there been any positive aspects to the last few months of your life, to this change in circumstances? That's not a stupid question at all, Jesse. In fact, um, the flip side of something life-changing like this is, um, one, it's very focusing on what you want to achieve in the rest of your life, and for me, that's more books, so that's been um, a great incentive. But two, I've never felt more valued and appreciated in my life. It's been tremendous, the amount of support. I've had contacts from old friends. It's, it's been um, humbling and overwhelming. What's your wife's name? Tania. Well, to you and uh, Tanya and your children, Tom and Lee and Alexia, we wish you all the best from here. And thanks so much for taking some time to tell us your story today.